Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at pctytalks at paylocity.com. On today's episode, I continue my discussion with Ashley Nelson on developing resiliency. We're going to jump right in where we left off last time. So there is a mindfulness practice that I like to call STOP, which I learned from the our mindfulness-based stress reduction program uh, that I teach. S stands for STOP. It's kind of the sacred pause. T stands for take a breath. O stands for just observe without any judgment what's going on here in my body, in my thoughts, in the other person's perhaps body, thoughts, reaction, and then P, proceed. Proceed in a way that you feel is appropriate. So that's a real simple practice. And then and then we can do some deeper work on um, cognitive reframing as well. Yeah, we, um, we recently started to implement I shouldn't say recently, I guess at the last couple of months, um, our CHRO, when we have our HR briefings, we do this activity where we go around the room and we just identify how we're feeling. No explanation, um, you know, no, no elaboration. It's just a one word. And the first time we did it, it was very overwhelming um, <laughs> because, you know, people were feeling sad or angry or like when they really thought about, you know, how they were feeling. Um, for me personally, my, my son had just... Um, he was in boot camp and so I wasn't seeing him. And so I was very sad a lot of the times and anxious about what was going on with him. But um, it completely reframed the room for us to just, let me just identify where I'm at. So if something comes out of my mouth or um, I'm not as engaged as I should be, there's a an understanding in the room. How did you bring some of these practices into corporate America mm-hmm. and and you know help people understand the benefit of it? In several ways. I mean, you can do, which I think is such a great practice that your your leader is uh, presenting to, to each of you. You can um, engage in practices like that before you kick off a meeting that just asks everyone in the room to take a deep breath. And just taking that deep breath and focusing on the breath activates that nervous system for calm and composure and helps unlock this inner calm that we're all sort of striving for. You can also engage in different listening and communication exercises and bring those to your teams front and center, active listening and really mindful listening. So noticing as you're listening to someone, am I paying attention? Is my mind going somewhere else? What would it feel like to not have my mind go other places and not anticipate what this person is about to say, but just let it unfold in each word that she is expressing. So this this concept of active listening can become a mindfulness technique, if you will. And then there are various uh, forms of mindful communication as well that you can you can bring into the equation, which perhaps ask after someone speaks, okay, let me make sure I've got this right. This is what I heard you say. So that the person can confirm and or validate that what you're hearing is actually what you're hearing 
and open up the floor for uh, just, I would say, more uh, more conversation that is that is better understood between two parties. So you can you can bring in small in the moment practices uh, like your leader is doing. You can also organically champion uh, meditations during the lunch hour or other programs that are mindfulness based and well-being oriented that help connect people with deeper awareness. Some companies are obviously engaging in yoga programs, meditation programs on site, and certainly you can have someone within the organization champion that uh, organically. There's really, especially a meditation program, you don't need anything other than an empty room, potentially. Um, And then there are clearly leadership development training tools that we can engage in um, that offer just a variety of mixed modality mindfulness teachings. So you can do a lot of different things. What change did you see in yourself um, later on, because you said you've been practicing mindfulness for a while, when you really started to bring this to the the teams you were working with Mm -hmm. um, in in that corporate environment, what changes did you see in yourself and in your teams? A couple of the the biggest changes I saw in myself when I began to really deepen my practice, and this was was during the time that we were navigating tremendous uncertainty and stress on the home front as well, I saw my ability to focus and to really lengthen my attentional control. I saw that increase. and that not only produced greater work product for me uh, on the on the work front in terms of actual insights that I might have been responsible for delivering, but it also really improved my relationships with my team and really changed my relationships with my team, really focusing on um, monotasking, if you will, when when my team was with me being really present with my team. The other change that I noticed was uh, just more empathy, compassion, and kindness. And I think that that unlocks a level of connectivity between human beings that creates safe space teams and when there is safe space created and there's more leadership trust created, teams are much more willing to take chances and be bold and identify really innovative solutions that are necessary on the transformation front. So from my perspective, my ability to focus um, improved greatly my ability to connect more deeply on an empathic and compassionate level increased deeply. um, And there were really just massive positive outcomes related to that. And, And the third was really just that I felt my stress levels change and go down, even though we were in the midst at a fossil of incredible disruption and change and change management Um, and I was in the midst of a lot of uncertainty at home, I felt my stress levels reduce because I was able to really transform my relationship with my stressors. And this is the resilience piece. I was 
able to see things differently and more clearly and have a much greater expanded perspective on those triggers and those stressors. So I want to switch gears for a little bit. Um, And as I think about bringing mindfulness into work, I think there are some companies who are probably really geared for it. Um, You know, if I think of, you know, young, hip startups, right, you think of yoga mats everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Um, But resiliency and mindfulness is a skill that that everybody needs. It's it's not just for startups or for, um, you know, kitschy young people. Everybody needs to have this experience. So as you think about bringing this into corporate America, what recommendations do you have on um, getting executive buy-in to start programs like this? Well, there are skeptics and there are pundits. um, And I suggest that you start with the science because there is a tremendous amount of compelling data that is out there from corporate America and from the scientific community about the why and the benefits and some of the outcomes that mindfulness practices result in. Uh, From the scientific community, we have experts out there like Judson Brewer at Yale. We have Richie Davidson closer to home or closer to Pelocity's home, who is a neuroscientist out of um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and many, many others. I, I cite those two because they are doing a tremendous amount of research and have data and assessments and metrics that show changes in the brain, changes in behavior, and even Richie Davidson goes so far as to say altered traits in human beings, changing their traits as a result of long-term mindfulness practices that are mixed modalities, not just meditation. There are a lot of different ways to practice mindfulness. So there is data out there um, from uh, the scientific community. There's also data out there from the corporate community. Aetna has engaged large insurance company, over 25,000 employees has engaged in mindfulness programming for many, many years. Their CEO is um, a practitioner himself and it was his secret sauce uh, from sort of a very tragic Um, injury that allowed him to come back um, at full speed and and full scale. And he has engaged in programming, and there is some data out there from Aetna that shows reduction in stress levels, improvements in productivity per employee, and reductions in pain management, improvements in sleep, all this good stuff. There's data out there from Intel. There's data out there from Google Google has uh, launched, many years ago, launched a program that's now called Search Inside Yourself that is an emotional intelligence training program that is mindfulness-based. They also engage in another program, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, and they've got data out there that comes from Google originally and is now um, coming from the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, which is its own entity, that shows improvements in resilience, improvements in focus and attentional control, reductions in stress levels, um, and improvements in employee engagement and leadership trust index. SAP is another giant that has done a lot. Um, They brought the Search Inside Yourself program and emotional intelligence training mindfulness based into their 
uh, global enterprise as well. So there's a lot of people out there doing it. And I think you can combine the data from other corporations with the scientific community. I think you can also offer the embodiment of practitioners who are practicing it on site, right? So these leaders that that know intuitively that this is important and have already adapted or integrating in, it into their lives, those leaders are going to be the leaders that are scoring highest on your company's employee engagement levels. Those leaders are the leaders that are going to score the highest on trust index. So that embodiment um, is something also, I think, to, to point out. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to have some leaders in your mix that do engage in in mindfulness and and emotional intelligence um, trainings, and and many leaders are. I mean, there's some stats out there that show that a high percentage of uh, CEOs are are implementing this type of training into their lives as well. Yeah, and you don't have to start with a big program, right? No. You don't You don't have to start with a completely rolled out program. I think in HR, sometimes we think we have to have everything buttoned up before it comes out the door. Um, this can be grassroots. It yeah. can be, hey, we're going to start meetings, like you said, by just taking a deep breath or, or recognizing how we're feeling and start to introduce the concepts in. And you mentioned a lot of metrics that can be measured to see effectiveness effectiveness of bringing a program like this in into your organization. Yeah, I would say I would say that most organizations are going to start at the grassroots level, right? Um, most organizations are going to be most comfortable with that. And there are programs out there. I mentioned the Search Inside Yourself uh, curriculum. Um, I mentioned mindfulness-based stress reduction curriculum. There are curriculums out there that can be brought in um, as full-on curriculums or versions of that are sort of workshops and, and trainings to start with um, that are ways to dip your toe in and experience it and get feedback from your employees and ask your leadership team to participate in it so that they can understand the, the aha that comes from it. Other ways you can bring mindfulness practices and trainings into your organization uh, organically and at a low cost is to just find a champion. This is a trend for a reason. It's, it's out there because it is a profound transformative practice. And likely there are people in your organization who are practicing it and applying it into their lives. So find those people by putting the word out or a bulletin out or um, offering even um, some low-cost event at the organization that centers around mindfulness, um, even if it's a thought leader that you're plugging into on a live stream and having a listening party in one of your conference rooms. I mean, things like that. Find the people who are interested and ask them about being a champion because those are the ways that people already practicing it can bring the benefits to the organization. I found when I was at Fossil for many, many years, I sort of kept this separate from my work life, thinking that it 
was most appropriate to do that. And <clears throat> for me, when my personal and my professional lives collided, there was just no keeping it under wraps anymore. And the skills that I was using to navigate this uncertainty at home were the exact same skills that I needed to navigate disruption and uncertainty at Fossil. So I openly started talking about it a little bit more and just became an unofficial champion. And as soon as I did, the number of individuals in the organization that reached out to me and said, I want to help. What can I do? I practice this as well. I'm deeply interested in this. Varying, varying levels on the scale, of varying levels of um, practitioners. But there was so much interest around it and support that it was actually quite easy to create sort of a little mini champion team. And it was a lot of fun. It could be an opportunity also to engage in your community. You know, maybe you have somebody who's already a champion in your community um, that you could bring in, like you said, for maybe a free free event. Do you have a recommendation on helping people understand active listening better? Mm-hmm. You know, that's something we talk about a lot. And we did an exercise actually with you when you came on site for us. And it was, you know, you, you were partnered up with somebody and they were speaking and you couldn't ask any questions. And I'm a really curious person. So while they were talking, it was really hard for me just to tune in and listen to what they had to say and not come up with, what are the eight questions I want to ask about the thing that they're telling me? Is there some some tricks or tools that you know our listeners can walk away with to start teaching people about better active listening? Uh, first of all, curiosity is a great thing <laughs> <laughs> and is certainly a pillar of mindfulness practice. However, having said that, when we when we when we listen and engage in conversation with people, we think we're listening, but we're actually, as you just mentioned, thinking about the questions that we're about to ask, right. which takes us away from the present moment of what that person might actually be communicating. We might actually miss something. The person might want to take it a certain direction that we weren't aware they wanted to take it unless we give them an open floor, an un unblocked pathway to go whatever direction they'd like. So skills I would say you can practice are just tremendous presence, paying attention to what a person is saying, paying attention to their body language, and you expressing your engagement through your body language, learning that we don't have to express our engagement through verbal interruption off all the time. We can express our presence and engagement through body language, through facial expressions, and we can pay attention to where our mind is going when the person is speaking. Is our mind going elsewhere about the questions that we're wanting to be curious about? Or can we just practice staying present and um, deeply focusing? So, And then if when the person finishes speaking, you will have a floor, the floor, and you can ask those questions. And if they're really important enough and compelling enough, they won't leave you. They'll, they'll still be present for right. you, knowing that uh, the mind will hang on to them if they are that critical. 
So as we close up here, um, hopefully our listeners got a lot out of this. I know I did. This is the second time I've, I've been around, you know, talking this this topic with you. But um, your company, Insius, is is pivotal in helping empower people and leaders to do this. If somebody wants to learn more about your company and what you do, how do they get in touch with you? Sure. Well, check out our website. We are at www.insius.com, which is I-N-S-E-U-S.com, insius.com. A lot of people ask me what it means. You can check that out on the website as well. Uh, or you can reach out to me, Ashley, at NCS.com. Follow us on social media. We're on all channels under either NCS or NCS Mindfulness. And um, we also, we, we bring training programs and experiences, both digital and live, to organizations for groups and uh, individuals as well. A lot of uh, mindfulness-based coaching and we have a team of people that are all certified and trained in various modalities and all come from a business background as well. So uh, check out what we're doing. There are a lot of ways to engage. Um, all of our events uh, are on the website and we do offer some public events and some virtual online events as well as, of course, um, crafting things and designing things for organizations. So we'd love to work and engage. Awesome. Ashley, thank you so much for coming out and joining me again today. It was a pleasure, Sherry. Thanks so much.